Good morning, everybody. Now, I wonder, how often do you check your spam filter? You know what I mean, where the junk email goes, the stuff you don't really want to read? Well, in a moment of idle curiosity this week, I checked mine. It was absolutely full of marketing messages, Black Friday deals, tempting offers, trying to get me to spend more and more and more this Christmas. Now, this weekend is particularly important to these marketing strategists because it's Black Friday. Now, this wasn't a term I was really familiar with, so I checked it on Wikipedia. Okay, so the name originated in Philadelphia where it was originally used to describe the heavy and disruptive traffic which would occur on the day after Thanksgiving. Alternatively, it might be the fact that retailers are turning a profit or in the black. Certainly, Black Friday is the day which, since 2005, has had the most money spent of the year. It's when everybody goes out and does their Christmas shopping. So, here we go, Black Friday deals. I was tempted, actually, I have to say. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. That's what they want for Christmas. And their faces, just imagine if they came down Christmas morning and that's what they saw. Wow, generosity. But you know, actually, I get some fantastic hugs just when I turn up to pick them up from school or nursery. So maybe I don't need to buy into this Black Friday stuff this Christmas. But... Why do you think these marketing strategists think it's going to work on me? Well, for a start, we know just how great it is to show people how much we love them by giving them stuff. And actually, love brings out our generous side. It's not just stuff, is it? We love giving to people that we love. And it's brilliant. It's great. And Christmas is all about joy and giving. And as Christians, we know that more than anybody. But in the current economic climate, more and more of us are having to face up to the fact that our, the size of our love might not mirror the size of our finances. And uh, so how can we continue to be generous without being foolhardy? So today is the first Sunday in Advent. Now, I checked my dictionary. I did more research. And my dictionary says... Advent really is still about the coming of Christ, okay? It's there, the coming of Christ at the Incarnation. So I started to think, the coming of Christ, what did Christ give us that first Christmas? What presents did he give us? Well, this is what I thought. I thought he gave himself relationally, incarnationally, in time and in space, Christ gave presents, and that's just what we heard in this morning's reading. Let's turn to it again. We've got Philippians 2, 5 to 11, if you can find it. While you're just flicking through, I'll just tell you a bit of background here. Because Philippians is one of Paul's letters. And it is one of his most joyful letters. It just bubbles out of his pen, doesn't it? Despite some pretty terrible circumstances, the letter itself makes it clear that Paul was writing from prison. Now, this could have been his spell in jail in, in Ephesus or Caesarea, but most scholars seem to think it was a bit later than that, about AD 62, when he was in chains in Rome. He'd already failed to gain his freedom at his first trial, and he was facing execution. 
So what does Paul do in those circumstances? What would you do? Well, what Paul did was he wrote this most joyful pastoral letter to the church in Philippi. This was one of his largely Gentile congregations that he'd been involved in getting going. And uh, it was an important Roman colony in Macedonia. So he writes to them, and we read some of it this morning, this wonderful, joyful letter spelling out to them the gospel message. It's got it all here. And in fact, this passage was quite probably an early Christian hymn. Now, we don't know whether Paul wrote it or whether he was just quoting it, but actually that's immaterial. Paul used it, he made it his own, and he applied it to his Philippian readers, and we can apply it today. So as we think about generosity this morning, Paul's words immediately get to the heart of the matter. Relationships. That's what our Christmas gifts are all about, aren't they? And Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. We're being taken back to that first Christmas. Christ, being in very nature God, made himself nothing, being made in human likeness. Now, if we were to stop reading there at the end of verse 7, wow, we've been given a most wonderful gift. God, creator of the universe, Lord of lords, came to earth and entered our lives confining himself to the human limitations of being in one time and one space, vulnerable. He didn't arrive as a king in a blaze of glory, but as a baby in a stable. We read the prophecy earlier in the parcel. To us, a son is given. Our joy and our generosity at Christmas is founded on this. God himself came to earth to rebuild our broken relationships. God did it out of love. God gave love. And there's more, this fragile baby, Jesus. He grew up in an occupied land. He experienced all that humans experienced, and he kept on giving. Just look at his life. He gave good news to the poor, freedom to prisoners, sight to the blind, He didn't sit in isolated splendor in the temple, but he got out there on the streets. He gave hope to everyday people in their everyday everyday lives. And he gave more. He fed the hungry. He cured the lame. He even raised the dead. We won't stop there, though. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, it says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Talk about generosity. Doesn't it remind you of what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 5? He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the real point of Christmas. God incarnate. God made man. God revealed to us here on earth. God the Son come to die for our sins. God had to become man. Fully God, fully man. He had to become man so that he could die for us and save us. There was no other way. 
But what a costly gift. When Jesus lived on earth, giving his time and energy to teaching and healing, he was showing us God in person. And he was certainly giving us a generous gift. But when he died on that cross, in my place, in your place, that was the greatest gift ever. And the story, which started with the gift of a baby that first Christmas, it continues even today because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and still lives. Our passage this morning sums it up perfectly. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of our Father. That early hymn tells us everything we need to know. And this amazing gift is given to each one of us. We only have to accept it. But how can we possibly respond to such generosity? I think it begins with worship. We believe in a generous and joyful God. The Bible tells us over and over again of his great love for us. And it leaves only one possible response. We read it here. Every knee shall bow. And that's what we read happened that first Christmas. Just think about it. The angels, the shepherds, the kings, Simeon, Anna. And as we prepare for this Christmas, we are preparing joyfully, excitedly, to worship our king afresh. It can help to imagine all that he gave up to come to earth. The glory and the splendor for a lowly stable. We don't need long and complicated prayers to worship him. We don't even need to be in church. We just need to stop and think about what he did. To pause in awe and wonder. God came to earth for me. He gave his life for me. And I want to give him praise and worship. When we do this, when we give him our worship, this gift will change us. Like Paul writing joy from his prison cell, the good news will start to permeate our being. We read in 1 John 4.19 that we love because he first loved us. And we know it to be true. We don't have to do anything. He gives it to us. And the more we think on what God has done to restore our broken relationships, the more we are filled with love for him. And the more this love and joy will overflow into our lives. And such joy is infectious. Just read through the rest of Philippians. You'll see Paul's joy. It's infectious. You'll want it. But I must say, I find change quite scary. And nobody promised that the Christian life is going to be easy. Look at Paul there in prison. But what other response is possible to this generous gift? God's love changes us. So, this Advent season, this Christmas, we want to give worship. We want to grow in love. And then, what should we do? What should we do with that? 
We should pass it on, like the parcel this morning that we were passing around. You see, the greatest gift we can give to another is the message of Christ as God incarnate. Now, don't worry, I'm not saying forget about Christmas presents, and I'm not even saying you should go around handing out Jesus love you stickers to people. That, that's not going to do it, is it? But maybe we should let God's love change us. It sounds a bit spiritual, a bit unachievable, so I've got a few practical suggestions. Here we go, the first one. Let's give presents, okay? If we're worshipping more and letting God change us, this love and joy is going to just overflow into our lives, like Paul's writings. And this is where we start spreading the message. As Paul said, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Don't try to force the message out artificially. God will do it in his own time. Give love and your life will be the primary witness. But do be ready to share the full story, to share your story, to share his story when the time is right. So practically, let's give each other our time and love. Remember what we heard in this interview earlier. Make cards, make presents, make food. Sit down and laugh together over old memories and old photographs. Make new memories. Give yourself in your way. Give presents. Now, I'm sure there are people here this morning who are worried about the financial cost of Christmas. But it doesn't have to cost the earth to be generous with our love and our time. And if anything, these heartfelt gifts, they can be more generous and more loving than bulging stockings and a hefty credit card bill. So we can, I believe we can spend less. We can give much more in time and in love. For others listening today, there is a bit more in the bank. Now, I don't want you to miss out on this wonderful love and generosity here. So here's a thought. Now, I heard a shocking statistic the other day, that in the UK, we typically spend £34 billion on Christmas every year. I can't even get my head around the size of that number. But the cost to provide clean water to the whole world and to solve all those terrible problems from people not having fresh water to drink, that is only £6 billion. Now, there's a group of churches taking part in what they're calling the Advent Conspiracy, and they're working to redress this balance by spending just a little bit less on their Christmas presents and giving away the extra money to help provide clean water, and they are really making a difference. That may not be what you want to do, but just think about it. What could you do? So, this Christmas, I'm challenging us all, and myself included, to start with Christ, to worship this generous, joyful God who loves us and to let him change us, to make us more Christ-like and to be more generous than ever without spending more money. Most importantly, just remember where it began. The first response to God's gift was the worship of the shepherds and the wise men. What will your first response be? And how will that change your Christmas?